Hey guys, Jamie here. So we're right in the midst of summer, and if you're anything like us, that means you're on the move. Christine is out paddleboarding every day, Heidi is being the yoga goddess that she is, Megan's running miles around New Jersey, and I just spent two weeks moving and building furniture in my new home here in Pennsylvania. So suffice it to say, we're sore. For aches and pains, Team Off the Gram uses Arnicare, which is a natural, over-the-counter, topical pain relief gel made from mountain daisies. The gel not only relieves muscle pain and stiffness, but it also relieves swelling from injuries and discoloration from bruises. So whether you're working out, doing home improvement projects or yard work, or even just sitting too long at a computer, Arnicare gel is essential for self-care. Visit arnicare.com and use the code off the gram at checkout for 20% off through August 31st. It's not about living younger. That's not the point. It's understanding your body so that you can make good lifestyle choices so that you can live your healthiest, happiest life as you go along. Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, girls. Yeah. Hi. Everyone. All right. So, guys, this is Jamie. And to be honest, this is actually one of the hardest guest intros I've ever had to write because it feels like the most important, at least to me... Okay, I'm going to get right to the point. Our guest today is Joan London, award-winning journalist, best-selling author, motivational speaker, successful entrepreneur, one of America's most recognized and trusted television personalities, and mother of seven, one of whom is me. (laughs) So my mom was the co-host of Good Morning America for nearly two decades, delivering news, lifestyle tips, and cultural insights into American Home Daily. As the longest running host ever on early morning television, she reported from 26 countries, covered four presidents and five Olympics, and still managed to have time to be at every one of my school recitals and horse shows. She literally redefined what it meant to be a working mom in America, and she is my biggest role model and cheerleader. So I am so honored to have her here with us today. So gals, let's welcome the lady my boy is called JoJo, a.k.a. Joan London. And I am so proud of the woman that Jamie has Mm -hmm. become and of the mommy that she is. That's really, it's kind of like the biggest compliment a woman can have is to see her daughters grow into these wonderful, caring, compassionate women who are such great mommies. And then you say, I must have done something right. (laughs) I'd say you did a lot of things right. Jamie is definitely one of my like favorite humans on the planet, the society. (laughs) I think you did a lot of things right. And how is she so put together, like on it with every single thing? Like you did not miss a step. (laughs) Type A, type type A. And I definitely got that. The apple doesn't fall far from the truth Mm -hmm. of that. Yep. Love it. Well, I also think it's like, I think, Jamie, one of the things that impresses me the most, and again, the society about you as a mom, is how really you don't miss things, even though you do 8 million jobs and wear 8 million hats. And so like to hear you say that about your mom, I'm like, oh, okay. So you had that example. Not that I'm saying what you're doing is easy because it's not. It's incredibly difficult and <laughs> challenging, yeah. I guess is the right word. But like, that's that's a, a, amazing that you two women figured that out. <laughs> but you know what, Heidi? I think when you're a working mom, you're always asking yourself that question. Am I doing okay? 
Am I a good enough mom while I'm working? Um, you know, I started that when it was almost like on the kind of the early edge of the frontier of working moms. I was right. probably one of the first women that was allowed to bring my child to work with me. That was Jamie. She was seven weeks old. I scooped her out of her crib every morning and tried to change her diaper without waking her. And she was in the back seat with me nursing while I read my script. And, you know, I was always asking myself that question, though. And when the girls got older, when I heard the press asking them that question, um, I almost held my breath, to be very honest. And then I heard Jamie say, you know what I learned by having a mom like, like Joan is that you can do a lot of things as a woman. You can be a mom, you can work, you can do all kinds. You can be a television person, but also write books. And I, it's almost like you go, (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing. And it's a huge feat and you should really like, you should be, I know it sounds silly as like a younger person saying, but like, you should be so proud of yourself every day. It's really, it's remarkable. And it's so inspiring to all other working moms. So thank you. Well, it's actually quite you. funny. I'm like lovingly smiling as I'm like texting my husband being like, can you keep Mason quiet out there? Because I can hear everything he's saying on the mic and I'm going to kill you all. Do you know, I actually knew that's what mom. you were doing. That's what, I knew you were doing mom. it. Cause I'm I heard just, like, I just, just have it all together. You do. You're setting each other on fire one room away. <laughs> but you never wondering. let it show. You always, it's always like <laughs> calm, cool and collected. No one sees you sweating, Jane. <laughs> anyway, well, let's no, talk kids for a second. Yeah, let's talk kids. I'm yeah. always trying new things. And I remember one day I I decided to try stand-up. And I went to the comedy, uh, comedy, the comedy club, whatever it was. And I did stand-up. The scariest eight minutes of my life. And um, I remember one of the jokes was, and you know, my kids are so great. They always just stay out in the hall and beat the shit out of each other. That's right. I remember that joke. And, <laughs> and I thought about that often because I feel like you see, this is where you pre, you kind of preceded your time. Like that is like the most common meme around now. It's like, <laughs> you know, mom says, hold on guys. Could everybody be quiet for just one hour? I have an important conference call. And all of a sudden it's like cue siren parade, kids setting each other on fire and the dog vomiting. Like immediately. Class breaking. All right, but Christine, I know you had a weekly catch-up topic, and it had to do with kids. So what yes, was it did. Well, or right before we logged on, or when we logged on, Heidi's little twin adorable girls <laughs> were on there showing off their pink and purple bikinis, and um, you were saying Heidi that they identify with you know, one loves pink and one loves purple. And that was how growing up and they were saying, you know, I'm pink, I'm purple. Um, and not only for twins, but for everybody, the, you know, sense of identity and when you're growing up and Joan, you probably have a lot to say about this too. When you're raising children. Um, I remember when I was younger, my sister, I'm four years older than my sister and she would just want to do everything I did. We had like a junk drawer or my mom would call it a special drawer because she doesn't want to say we had junk in our drawer. Um, <laughs> it was a special drawer and everything I put in my drawer, Lori would put in her drawer or we had Smurfettes and Smurf little figurines and, you know, everything was just like Christine. And my mom would say, you know, that's the um, highest form of flattery. You're going to, you're going to appreciate this one day. And, you know, she's looking up to you. Um, but I guess, you know, maybe Heidi or whoever wants to take this, what, how, when you're raising children, I don't have children, but, um, I remember with my sister and I had it, what do you do to make them each have their own identity and teach them that they can be their own person? 
Well, well I think Joan's going to have a lot better things to say than I do. So I'll start and then you can, you'll make it a lot better. <laughs> it's just turned five last week. So I don't have the most experience. They are my oldest. Um, but so it was really like earth shattering to me how early they latched onto a color to differentiate themselves. Like I didn't know that cognitively they were aware like one of my, so we'd gotten a gift when they were born and they were these two pillows. They both had pink gingham on the outside and they were white pillows, but their names were embroidered on the inside in one. And Alexia's was purple and Priscilla's was pink. They were a gift. And so I put them in their cribs and then one of my mom's friend hand knitted them baby blankets. One was purple and one was pink. Mm. And I never really thought much about like who was going to get which, but at some point, you know, like, come on, like in the first six months of having twins, maybe Joan, you probably weathered this a lot more smoothly than I did, but the first six months were really challenging for me, especially since they were my first, like it was, and they, they were preemie. So like they had horrific reflux. It was basically like screaming for two hours, every feeding, trying to like force feed them. (laughs) It was, it was, this first six months was hard. And then every day after that has gotten better, which thank goodness. But, um, but, uh, they, as, as, I think they were about six months and I was loading them into, you know, the stroller and I hadn't gotten those 7am infant things yet that like zip up onto the stroller. So I was just putting blankets on them to take them outside. And I was like, Oh, who gets what? And you know, it was like, Oh, well, Alexia has the purple pillow. So the purple blanket should go to her. Like it's just easier. Right. So that's how I started. And then at about six months, I just sort of threw them on them, like not thinking. Right. And they started hysterically crying because apparently I had given, so six months old, I had given Priscilla the purple and Alexia the pink and they screaming, screaming. And I sort of like saw them like reaching. And then I was like, they can't actually want the other color. Can they? That's so young. I know. And I switched it and they stopped crying. (gasps) And I was just like, Oh, 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 Like, I just couldn't believe at that age they were cognitively aware of it. So they clearly decided that for themselves based on these two baby gifts. So you guys, baby gifts matter. Uh, (laughs) Especially with twins, barely. Um, And, I mean, you know, pre-show, we were talking, like, I, you know, Joan had mentioned that she dressed Jamie and her closest sister in age together. And I, whenever possible, dress my children the same because it's less to think about, quite frankly. It's just easier to buy the same thing. It's adorable. It's adorable. (laughs) I think, like, what's better than one cute baby outfit? Two! (laughs) And then when the parents match, too, that's even better. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's nauseating. Sorry, guys. (laughs) But, Mom, you have twins, too, but yours are boy-girls. So, like, how does that work with them? Because you have two sets of twins, of course. So, Heidi... You know, you guys are, are, are both have your twin story, but it obviously manifests a little different since yours are boy or girl. So what does that look like for you? Well, first of all, when it comes to being when they're little babies, I made a recording and for about, it was about a, maybe a 20 minute recording because our twins, I had the first three and then we had a surrogate who had both sets of twins and I sent her this recording and she used to put it on her belly every night. And so, so they, they knew your voice. They would hear my voice. And when they were born and then screaming, crying, which you want them to do. But when I held them and I talked to them, they immediately calmed down. And I'm convinced that, you know, and the experts say that they do hear and understand and recognize that voice. But, you know, as they've grown up and when we have friends come over, when one of them has a friend come over, I 
almost feel obligated to call their parent and say, so I know you only have one child, but they're coming into a house where there are four, a little rambunctious in this house. So I'm just letting you know, it's like, it's like coming over to a, you know, a class play date. There are four. And when they were little, we had a bathtub in the bathroom off the family room. It was a long one. We put all four in. I would put four towels, four, you know, jammy sets, four desitins, four, four <laughs> diapers, and we'd bring them out. It was like literally, it was an assembly line. <laughs> but now, of course, they're grown up. They're, they think they're grown up. They're um, 15 and 17. Um, but it's tough being so close in age. Like, you know, they get out of school, they go to all these different things. And there are some, like, two of them are alpha. And we, we joke because, you know, we made all of our embryos at one time and the doctor picked some each time. I have Kate and Max, the older, and Kim and Jack, the younger. But the real twins are Kate and Jack, the younger, uh, mm-hmm. and Max and Kim. They look alike. They act alike. They have the really? same demeanor. These two are total alpha. Alpha female, you know, she's the the captain of the soccer team, the captain of the tennis. Let's just call it. She's a popular girl. She, ah, she's and, a cool girl. She's and a cool Jack girl. is like the star of the football so team. He's a stud. He's a stud. We, I just always worry that he understands that he's a stud. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't worry. I don't think he listens to my podcast. I was going to say, don't let him listen. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other two... Um, are in a different school. They're in a private school with like a, you know, 200 kids. The other two are in Greenwich High School with 3,500 kids and love it. And Which is where Heidi still, went too. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. They are so different. And, but you have to, my biggest challenge with them is, for instance, Kim, she's not a big athlete. And she'll say to me, it's really hard being a kid in this family. Like Jack is like the god. Right. You know, it's just studly. Max is this like super intelligent, studious, and st- also an athlete. Kate is, forget it, she's the queen of the school, and then there's me. Right. And look, and that's to me my biggest thing is to like build her up and try to slap Jack down a little. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting. I when I was pregnant with Asher, um, with my second, like you just after you have your first child and you meet them and you're like. You know, I think we're taught in this world that you're going to meet your child when they come out and you're just immediately like, oh, I'm so in love. And I've Mm -hmm. never thought, I'm sorry. When I first, I was like, who is this alien that just came (laughs) out of me? Because it's not immediate. You're just like, whoa, like there's a little adjusting to do. And then I realized with the second one, I'm like, I wonder what he'll be like. Because I was so used to having my first. And it's so interesting how different they are and how much of that is nature versus nurture. I mean, they are in different. So and I got to tell you, Jamie, you know, our family room downstairs, I call it the, the padded insane asylum. <laughs> and you put the four of them down there and there are, you know, dolls over here. There's a little basketball hoop. There's all these different things. The boys will pick up anything that they can bounce or hit each other with. Mm. And the girls will play with the dolls and make each other feel terrible. <laughs> 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 That's the way that they are. I remember I was a psychology major. The idea that they're born blank sheets of paper and we turn them into something. Mm. 
That's not true. Yeah. So interesting. You know, I actually say this a lot because I think it bears repeating to as many ears as possible. There's so much pressure put on women when they're pregnant, like to not be stressed out because the baby will be high strung mm. and to not be this and to not think that and to not feel this and not feel that. And it's like, it puts so much pressure and stress mm. on a pregnant woman at such a stressful time as it's like, it's a beautiful time, it's a miraculous time, all the things. But there's so many external pressures. And like, if so if that were true, if your like stressed out thoughts had an effect on the personality of the baby, then twins who had the same pregnancy yeah. in the same uh, mother would have identical true. personalities. And I've never heard of twins having the same personality. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. mine couldn't be more opposite. Joan, so I'm super curious as a twin mom too. Um the alpha and, and you don't have to say it if the twins don't. So my twins don't know who's older and I'm keeping it that way. Like everybody, because I don't need one more thing for them to fight about <laughs> or compare or like I'm better. I'm older. I'm whatever. Um, I'm curious because, you know, in twin pregnancies, they label them baby A, uh-huh. baby B and baby A is positioned to come out first. Right. Both so girls. They were both the girls. Yep. But they're not both the alphas. No. That's super interesting because they, mm-hmm. they claim that the one that comes fact, out first is the alpha twin. On the second pregnancy, Kim came out first and Jack wasn't coming out. He wasn't coming out. And pretty soon now they're talking about doing um, a hysterectomy. And our, our surrogate, so wonderful. Deborah looked up at my husband and said, if you want any more children, you're going to have to get another surrogate. <laughs> I put my head over. I said, if he wants any more children, he's going to have to get another wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that is a good way to segue. <laughs> um, but I, I think, let me just actually chime in that Jeff, your husband, who has been in our life since I was 16, I think, years old, is probably my favorite human on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like give three cheers for Jeff and for you for having a good picker. Um, <laughs> I actually got to say like, we're all very lucky in our family, me, my sister, Lindsay, my sister, Sarah, and you, we all got spouses that we just truly are all best friends. It's very mm-hmm. much yeah. a modern family. And there's definitely none of that. Like, Oh, Thanksgiving, this one's coming over. Like we all love each other so much and we're very blessed. So three I- cheers for Jeff. I wonder about how much of that. What's that? They all are big supporters of us. It's amazing. It's important. It is important. And I wonder how much of it, Joan, is credit to you because that was the example that you showed your children. Mm -hmm. Like, look, you can be happy Mm -hmm. and not fight every day and not, you know, because I think that people so often subconsciously just repeat what they know. Yeah. And so if they've had parents that were just like this, like hitting, you know, like, clashing 24 seven. I think that's kind of who they marry. Cause that's what they think love and marriage is mm-hmm. as opposed to if you've seen like, as, and I almost think, especially if it's a second marriage, because it's like, look, they got the chance to do it right. Like they, they figured out everything that didn't work and here's what works. So like, look at this, learn from this. Mm-hmm. And as your children, they get to see. Well, and I have a quick question. This is Christine. I don't have children, but we just had this conversation yesterday with our neighbors who um, have grown kids who are in college now. And we were comparing their sort of form of parenting to what I see my sister doing and what I see um, close friends of mine doing, where it's so 
on top of the children right now. And, and there's such this, I don't know, it, there's so many rules, there's so many books, there's so many, you know, rights and wrongs. And it's almost like not letting the children learn for themselves or feel yeah. for themselves. Or there was an instance um, yesterday where the child went over to the dog and everybody had a million things to say about what that child should do when he got near the dog. And you could see initially, he just wanted to go and touch the dog and he was fine. He wasn't scared. And the second everybody had something to say and, you know, it just, it was so many things you can see. He walked away and he just, he didn't know how he felt about dogs anymore. And he probably was never going to touch a dog again. That form of parenting, unfortunately, we see it go all the way up to college. Yeah. You know, and I, beyond. And beyond. But I remember we were on the parents committee at UPenn for eight years because Lindsay went there and Sarah went there. And we used to hear them always complain about these parents that would call to argue about the grade the, cur- the student got. Like, they don't want to hear from the parent. They want to hear from the kid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you think about growing up with, with um, parents fighting. Um I used to go every Saturday morning or every Sunday morning for a long car ride with Jamie, taking her to her horse shows somewhere. And we'd make, we were driving back home one day and we were been just quiet. And she, all of a sudden out of the blue, she said, what's up with you and dad? And I looked at her and I said, what? She said, obviously there's a problem. I said, what? You don't, you don't see us fighting. She said, that's right. You guys don't talk. Like we didn't fight in front of the kids, Mm -hmm. but we were living like completely separate lives under the same roof. And she saw it Mm -hmm. and she noticed it. Um, But I really tried really hard and she'll attest to this, that, you know, it's tough when you decide you can't be remain married to a person Um, because, and you, your biggest worry and concern is that the children Mm -hmm. and, I tried my best never to denigrate as mad as I was and as upset and whatever. If Jamie won something in a big horse show, she knows the very first thing I would do. I would get my phone out and I would call her father mm-hmm. and I would say to Jamie, tell him about it. Mm-hmm. And she would sometimes say, I don't want to do that. And I said, if it was the other way around, I would want to be the one being called because he never went to any of the horse shows or anything. Never. And and to this day, I'm so glad that I took that, um, that I followed that path. Higher road. Because they all now have, you know, relationships with their dad and they should. Mm-hmm. You never said a bad thing about him. And, and it was very, very inspiring. Jamie, you're like that. I have to say you are the one per- very few people I know are like that. And I, you know, I always, that is one quality about you that I so admire. You, they always turn it positive, no matter how horrible the person is being. You never have a bad thing to say. And I think it's great. I mean, there's a way to turn it positive and, and, you know, I'm sure that has something to do with, with growing up. Well, it's it's all part of wellness. It's all I'm part so of wellness. Thankful. It's negative energy, you know, mm-hmm. but it's so important, Jamie, at least to me, I was so thankful that I met Jeff and that my girls still, while they were young enough would see two people having an incredibly close loving, friendly. I mean, he's not just my husband. He's my best friend. He's a very charismatic, very positive guy. And I was so happy that the girls got to see that, that that would be the the, the role model that they would think about the most going into a marriage. Absolutely. Clearly they did. Yep. 
Jamie's parents is one of my faves. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm lucky. George is a good guy. But so can I just, can we get to sweat this? Because <laughs> speaking of George and my crazy life, as you guys know, we just moved into this like crazy, beautiful house in Pennsylvania and we're like kind of loving every second mm-hmm. of it. I'm not going to lie. So to bring everyone up to speed, if you haven't been following along, we moved from our little two bedroom apartment in New York City. It's a post COVID move for us, but it's not just because of COVID to come closer to my job on QVC and because we found a great house. So here we've been moving into this house for the last week and I have had more muscle aches and bumps and bruises from unboxing and setting up furniture than I would get from a week of workouts. Like it has been crazy. So I'm actually really grateful for our sweat this this week because Off the Gram has partnered with Arnicare, which is a natural over-the-counter topical pain relief gel made from mountain daisies. This is one of my favorite products. And Heidi, I know you have used it too because it's I've had it for like ever. Yeah. yeah. I literally have been using it forever. So I was so excited. I, I've been using it for my children. I actually used it, um, for James. My youngest had surgery because his pediatrician missed hip dysplasia. I asked her twice about it when he was young enough to avoid surgery and she poo-pooed me. And then somebody totally unrelated discovered he did in fact have hip dysplasia. So he had a massive surgery and a body cast and brace for 11 months. And I used, I used the Arnicare on him and that's oh. and it was like it totally got rid of the bruising it really helped it yeah. it was it's amazing i mean that's a major surgery that he yeah had. totally it's amazing so, stuff it's really essential for self-care so you know i always like to to bring things that i'm actually really really using that's kind of the whole point of sweat this is like yeah. what did yeah. you kind of discover this week that's just kind of been a game changer for you so this is something like if you're working out you're doing home improvement yard work even if you're just sitting in front of a computer for too long mm. arnicare is an awesome product um that you can kind of manage pain effectively at the, at the first time so we have a code for you guys you get 20 percent off if you use the code off the gram at checkout on arnicare.com that is good through august 31st so get on it Okay, let's get into our topic. Heidi. Oh, okay. <laughs> I agree, but I just want to stare at you and listen to you. Um, I do just want to say, like, Arnicare was like the yogi's secret forever. Like, it was always that. used, like, 10 years ago in yoga studios. People were like, oh, yeah, just use Arnica on that. Like, Arnicare, Arnicare. Amazing. And, like, so I'm like, this is, like, good stuff. It stands the test of time. It's, you know. All the universe brought, brought it to you. Okay, amazing. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of yoga studios 10 years ago, <laughs> let's get to our topic because, you know, aging, nothing but a number, right? Right. So, maybe. <laughs> no, I agree with you, Joan. Um, but let's be honest. Society still puts a lot of pressure on women, especially when it comes to age. And it's part of why we started this podcast because we were tired of being told that we shouldn't be influencers because we were in our 30s and 40s. And isn't that kind of the whole point? As we mature through our journey, we gain knowledge and insight to share with others. And if we can continue to look really good while we're doing it, well, all the more reason that we should share how that works. So, Joan London's audience followed along her life's adventures from her first baby, Jamie, (laughs) to first grandchild. And no one exemplifies aging gracefully and fearlessly like she does. She redefines, embraces life at every age and every stage. Joan has bungee jumped in Australia, flown in an F-18 fighter jet, held plutonium in her hands, and perhaps the scariest of all, honestly, navigated aging on the public stage. And now she's written a book about it. 
Joan's new book, Why Did I Come Into This Room? A Candid Conversation on Aging is meant to remove embarrassment over the aging process. And we can't wait to hear her unique perspective on all of it. Welcome, Joan. Hey. Hi. 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 All right, so mom, I got to ask the first question. I'm just going to jump in. But I love getting to, to ask you the questions. Okay. Like me getting to interview Joan London is just ironic on all <laughs> levels, even though she's my mom. So um, no, really, like we recently had Norma Kamali on the show, who I adore. And she's another prime example of someone who has aged much like a fine wine. And she really feels like she is in the prime of her life at 75. So if you could break it down, what is the secret to embracing aging? I feel like I'm in the prime of my life, and I never would have believed that while I'm turning 70, I can't even, it's hard, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. <laughs> Somebody said I'm turning 70, but in my reality, I'm not. <laughs> I feel like I'm 45. I, they say everybody has an age, that if you like close your eyes and you think about yourself, mm-hmm. you have to be thinking of yourself at some age because we're conditioned to think that. And I'm 45, I guess that's where I got off the age train. Hi, I'm Jamie from Off The Gram. Launching a podcast is a lot of work. Luckily, Gotham Podcast Studio has everything you need to get started. Whether you just need an hour of recording time or a jumpstart with full-service production, Gotham Podcast Studio offers high-quality audio and video recording, reduced membership rates, podcast hosting services, and much more. All from their studio located in the heart of Manhattan. Visit GothamPodcastStudio.com for more information. Now, back to the show. So what's everyone else's age? Wait, what's everyone's age Uh-oh. here on this podcast? I do. I mean, you start. Wait, real age or close your eyes age? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, ready? I feel, I want to say like 33, but my real age is 40. Okay. Christine. <laughs> okay, this is this is Christine who does not like saying this, but know, um, I'm the oldest one. I'm the oldest one on this podcast. I am 44, and oh. I know, and um, but I don't. But my thing, it's so confusing to me because I feel like I'm like 20 something. I don't know. I have energy. Yeah, that, I want to do cartwheels. I want to play. I don't. I love life, but I don't understand my age, and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Great answer, if you ask me. Yeah. Okay. I love it. You know, it's funny because my whole life, I just wanted to be 21 because I always look, I, I still sound like a 12 year old on the phone. So it's Heidi. <laughs> um, and people are always like, is your mom home? If I, if I like pick up the phone and I'm like, dude, I can't, I just like, I'm like, click. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to be 21 my whole life. And then like the year after I was 21, I was like, well, this stinks because now I don't want to, there's nothing I'm like aspiring to. Like I wanted to be 18 so I could be like a grown up, and then I wanted to be 21 so I could drink legally. And then, and somebody was like, well, you can rent a car at 25. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, get me a chauffeur. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say when Joan, when you first said that, when you said like everybody has an age, if you just close your eyes and think about it, 30 was what came to my mind. Like that was what just like right. jumped at me. So I'm surprised it wasn't 21, to be honest with you, because that was literally what I waited my whole life for. And 22. And, and your real age? What? Oh, I'm 40. Right. Um, well, but I was the same with you uh, because of the fact that I was young for going into school. Mm-hmm. You know, I was one of those. September baby. So I was always younger than everyone, Then I skipped a grade. So I was all, I was always with these older kids 
And then when they went off to middle school, I was stuck in grammar school. Then I was back with them. And then they went off to high school and I was stuck in middle school. And when I got into high school, I said, that's not going to happen again. So I took all these correspondence courses and went to night school and I skipped my junior year so that I could be out. So I started college when I was, I turned 17 after I started college. Wow. So I was always like the youngest. I was always jailbait and everybody was all <laughs> older and I was always the young one. So it seems so weird now that when I'm around whatever um, cast it is, like I've got a show coming up that I'm doing in uh, September and I'll be the oldest person there. Like, how did that happen? But the thing is, is that I don't feel like I'm the oldest person there. And, you know, um, I, I started writing books um, way back when this is my 10th book that I just wrote. And I remember one time I'd had a couple of bestsellers and a publisher came, made me this big offer. And I went to my agent book agent and I said, I feel like I squeezed every last thought out of my head uh-huh. and I have nothing else to say. And he said, you will write about that, which you want to know more about mm-hmm. and best advice ever. And so when I, and I started quite honestly writing this book about seven years ago. And at that time it was called live younger, longer. Jamie might remember that. And I just couldn't get into it. And I, mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling it. And then I think it was actually going through breast cancer and learning and reading voraciously about cell formation and, and, you know, insulin level and all these different things. And all of a sudden I came out of it. I think you also go into cancer treatment, one person and you come out another because you have this incredible appreciation for life and you want to start planning this fabulous life because you've got the second chance. And all of a sudden I said, it's not about living younger. That's not the point. It's, understanding your body so that you can make good lifestyle choices so that you can live your healthiest, happiest life as you go along. And so I said, I've got it. And the more research I did, the more excited I got about sharing the information with others. And, you know, I, when I went to title the book, why did I come into this room? I mean, haven't we all said it? And my, remember Jeff, my husband, he said, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. That's making fun of people. I said, no, it isn't. It's using humor to connect with people because everyone, and you don't think about it if you're 20, but man, if you're 40 something or 50 or 60 something, you think, uh oh, is we're this- pregnant. Uh-oh. Well, there's something bad. That's right. And I was going to say that exact thing, Mom, because I love that you talk about things like bladder control or lack yes. thereof. Because it's one of the topics that my followers on NYC FitFam like the most when I share about because they can relate, but they, yeah. it's something they don't really feel comfortable talking about. So it kind of brings me to the, the point that a lot of the issues that we deal with postpartum or as new mamas yes. are the same that we deal with when we're aging. So your book is really great for women of all ages dealing with those embarrassing things that we all go through, right? I've had more women say to me, by the way, if they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, they all say the same thing. You were writing to me. These are all <laughs> the things that are happening to me. And they amazing. Also all say Every 20-something female should have to read this book because it's a playbook. But, you know, when you throw everything out on the table, and it's dumb that these things are taboo. They shouldn't be taboo because what happens when they're taboo is that each of us experience it singularly. Like, oh, my God, my waistline's expanding. I can't get to sleep at night. I can't lose weight anymore. I can't find my keys. I'm leaking when I sneeze. Like, I'm 
falling apart. I'm getting old. And then they go down this path. I'm not as sexy. I'm not as appealing. And pretty soon I'm not relevant. And that's a terrible path. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to put all of this out there and say, these are biological things that happen to every single one of us. And yeah, they can be embarrassing, but you need to talk to your doctors about them because there's fixes for almost every one of them. I knew I had to do it with a sense of humor. So when I got to the, the chapter on what doctors would say, urinary incontinence, I made that chapter. I laughed so hard, tears rolled down my leg. (laughs) (laughs) You have to do this with a sense of humor. My, my exercise chapter is, um, why can't I lose weight? Like I lose my keys and my sex, my, my and my libido. <laughs> Wait, no, what about the, the, the cremation one? I like oh, that. that at the end of the book. I want to be cremated. It's my last chance for a smoking hot body. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. If you do that and you use humor and I use quotes in a lot of my books because I love quotes. They're like, a few words that make this big impact that you remember them forever. And I thought, you know, I want, I can get across to women who wouldn't go out and buy some book by a doctor necessarily. They might buy it, but they might not read it. But with using humor and also being authentic and, and revealing when these things happen to you, that's the mad, that's when the magic happens. And that's when they say, Oh my God, it happens to her too. Like, exactly. you want me to tell you the spank story? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, I was at this big glamorous party and I wore this beaded gown that was very, very body shaping. And so therefore I, I wore shapewear, we'll call it those torturous items, like underneath, like a complete thing. So now I'm at the party and I need to go to the ladies room. And so I made it to the ladies room and I made it into the stall, but it is so hard to pull a long to the floor length beaded gown up over your boobs and then hold it and then try to get this, uh, this thing like a scuba suit off of you. <laughs> but let's say that undergarment won the race. <laughs> or we should say my bladder won the race. Oh no. Because you're in there. And I think it's like when, you know, your bladder knows you're there. You're in a bathroom. Oh, yeah. You're there. They see it. It's time. Mm-hmm. So now what do you do? So I took it off, the very expensive mm-hmm. garment, and I had this teeny little purse that my lipstick and my blush were in. So I had to stuff it into that little oh. box that they put in Lady oh Stall. Oh, God. Hey, bye-bye. Really expensive <laughs> tapeware. Yeah. And drop my, drop my gown to the floor. And walk back out into this party, bare-assed. You probably and felt a lot better. Let's be real. No who I was talking to, I was like smiling because. <laughs> <laughs> and you could probably breathe again too, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, share, you know, people aren't inspired by you because you're perfect. They're no. inspired by you because you will share how you handle your imperfections. Absolutely. That's you can really inspire them. I do love you, that. I know. Have, saving that quote for our, uh, yeah. <laughs> for our quote section. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's really true. And I, I, this is why I think this book is really relatable for all, kind of all ages. And I was wondering if you could go back and tell your 25 year old self one thing, Ooh. what would you tell her? Oh, I would say don't take everything so seriously. I mean, you know, as you're, as you're going along as women, especially, 
Um, I interviewed the other day a group of women for Women's Day magazine, and they were all very different. But this one young woman was, um, she was in the service, armed, armed forces, I think Army, and she said we would be in a formation having our morning call, and the guy would yell at us and, like, degrade us. And she said, and when it was over and everyone started marching away, the guys marched away, they could have cared less. She said, I felt totally demeaned. I I held on to it all day long. I thought I wasn't doing a good job. And why do we do that as women? Like, we torture ourselves. You know, that's why in the book I did uh, Mind, Body, Soul. And the whole third part of the book is about getting to that point in your life. And it's interesting. It happens in 40s, 50s, 60s, wherever it happens to you, it's a pivot point. It's a point where you feel all of a sudden you can kind of exhale. You're not trying to impress everybody anymore. You can look back and say, I did a pretty damn good job. I made it through a lot of challenges. I can pat myself on the back. The thing is you have to remember that then you're going to pivot because likely today you're going to have another 40, 50 years to live. (laughs) And But it's like, what did I not ever do that I really wanted to do? This is your chance to do it. But there, what's the old adage? With with age comes wisdom, and it's true. And you all of a sudden are more comfortable Mm -hmm. in your skin. It's kind of like in your 20s and 30s, you were always worried about what everybody was talking about you. In your 40s and 50s, you tried to make sure they said the right thing. And in your 60s and 70s, you realize they weren't talking about you at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody was worried about themselves the whole yeah. time. Like, get over it. Yeah. So I was on the same. Freedom. I was on, um, you and I, I, I don't know if you know it or not. I just, I think it was happenstance, but we were on the same little talk show. Jessica D'Ambra was, um, you were on right before me. And I heard, I was listening to your, you were talking about the book and, and she was asking you questions even about children. She was so worried. She's in her, I think she's 40 or 41, the host. And she was asking you, you know, um, is it, is it, is it dangerous? What do I have these, all these thoughts going through my head? Should I, shouldn't I, you know, what do I do? And you, you told her, you're like, stop thinking and listening to all the noise around you and stop, you know, getting that, taking all that pressure and, and do what you feel is right and do what your body is telling you. And I maybe, and I, and I thought about that because I'm, I was the same way with, um, you know, I don't think we're having children at this point, but with everything in life, I am older and I have a problem with always saying like, I don't feel my age. I'm, I'm comparing myself to people who are younger, who I relate to. And Comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and so when you said that, you know, stop listening to the noise and, and just do you really. Um, I think that's, you know, I, I, so, I took that and, and I think of that a lot. So let me tell you, the first chapter of the book is how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? Mm-hmm. And I took, Jamie and Lindsay and Sarah, the three older girls, to Morocco when they were teenagers. My whole idea was that I wanted to take them to a place in the world to see where people lived with no, you know, running water and electricity and, and so that they'd go home and appreciate this amazing life we have here in America. And I then took my next set as well. But during that first trip, we had been to the Sahara Desert and gone on a camel ride and watch the sun come up on the Sahara. But we were going back, and our driver saw a whole lot of sheep herders along the side of the road. And he pulled over and went and asked one of them if we could go into their tent 
which was just a few hundred yards, a big tent where they all lived in. <clears throat> and we could talk to them about their life, their nomadic life. And they said, yes. We went in and there was this older woman. I mean, I don't, I, she looked like, I mean, she had Sahara Desert weathered skin. And we sat down and we asked questions through this, um, you know, guide and uh, interpreter. And I said, I hope she doesn't mind, but can I ask her how old she is? And she looked at me like I was from Mars. <laughs> And the answer was, nobody out here knows that. We're born in the desert. There are no records. Nobody writes it down. Like, I have no idea how old I am. And I got back in that car that day and shut that door, and I thought, wow. Like, when the seasons change, she's not going to say, am I too old to take this tent down and roll it all up and put it on a donkey and go 100 miles? She'll just do it. And when I came back home, I thought, why are we so obsessed with age? You could take five women who are 66 years old. One could be a triathlon. They could be all at all different levels. And yet our world, our media and our world, not just the media, our world, will all describe those five women as 66-year-old women. Mm-hmm. And it's the worst description ever. It has no bearing on who they are. You're so right. It's funny. I actually like, I learned those lessons. I know this is going to sound really crazy, but like I learned that lesson in acting. And then again, in yoga, this is Heidi. When I graduated college that summer, I was on a film set. Um, and I literally like the summer I graduated college and all I ever wanted to be was older as discussed at the beginning. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there and everybody's like, well, how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? And I was like, Oh, I'm 21. I was like, that's how old I was. And I was so excited. And the director was like, don't ever say that ever again. Mm. And I was like, I'm so proud of my age. I am so proud of my age because I always only ever wanted to be this age. And like from that day forward, like, and then every manager, every agent, every, everything was like, Oh no, 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 no. You can't tell your real age. You have to lie about it. And like, I'm one of those people who like, if I think about lying, like my face starts to flash, like the things come out of my neck, like it's disaster. Um, and I'm like, you want me to lie? Like, why do I have to lie? And so it really took like so long of like hearing that and like feeling in my gut how wrong it was to just be like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to say my age anymore because it shouldn't matter. Like, it just shouldn't matter. And, like, why does anyone need to know? Because that's just one more thing, like, to define me that I don't want to be defined by. Well, you know, there's a big trend right now. I just read about it in some magazine that said that women, um, really boomers, period, but it, it was specifying women who are, you know, trying to stay like second careers and things they are lying about their age and they're saying that they're like 42 when they're really 56 because there's this tendency to think that well you're so yesterday someone young and we just don't we don't treasure and knowledge and experience i mean look i was insane i was replaced on good morning america with a girl who was 30 that looked just like me and I was 45 and you know, they thought that's what the audience wanted. And yet I think the audience all looked at that and said, "Uh Oh, there, but for the grace of God, go. I like, I don't like the idea of, and they wanted their friend that they had spent the last 20 years with and the show plummeted, you know, and it took them 17 years to come back, but somehow they don't learn those lessons. And just like when they replaced Jane Polly with Deborah Norville, 
and like, you know, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. Mm-hmm. And, but we still are living with that. It's not as bad. They're allowing women to age a little bit more now on TV. But I got to tell you, I honestly can say, I think I am so much more capable and in better, like on my Facebook lives and everything, I'm more at ease with being able to talk off the cuff. You want me to go on, on a Facebook live for half an hour and just talk? Okay. And I can because do that it. Comes with experience. It would have scared the crap out of me if I had had to do that back then. And you wouldn't think that because I was the host of this big show, but I have more confidence now. I have more capability now. Would you say that you're more comfortable in your own skin? Oh, 1,000%. 1,000%. I just just turned 40. Yeah, and I just turned 40, and I woke up that day waiting Mm. to feel crappy because society tells me I'm supposed to. You know what I mean? Like, literally, I I just woke up. I knew that I felt uh, that I'm the best version of myself right now at this stage of my life. But I woke up just waiting to see if there would be a little bit of a rain cloud over my head because we're supposed to have one, right? We're supposed to be like, Oh, I'm 40. And I woke up and I realized it's just another wonderful day. I've chatted with a lot of my friends who have a real struggle with being in their forties, but like, I really, I, I don't feel it. I'm not owning that. I I'm owning the fact that like, I've never felt better. And my husband is 60 and I got to tell you, I mean, cause he works in the music industry. So he also is like, kind of like, he's got like the cool dad vibes. Like he, he understands the Twitter, you know what I mean? Like he's not like, <laughs> old, you know, so like he's, but, but I mean, it really is all about, I think it's more about relevancy, being comfortable in your own skin, yeah. stepping into your authentic self, you know, and I do think, I do think we're valuing that more as a society today. There is a move towards a greater acceptance of women who just kind of rock it, yeah. in my opinion. And I feel and like I now we're her. accepting. And yeah. then I called Jamie and I said, my 40s were fabulous. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. It's fair, though, that men get to look, I don't know, they just age better. They don't do a no, damn I thing. Don't. They wash their face with, like, bar soap that you're supposed to use on yes. your feet. Yes. <laughs> I don't, this is Heidi. I don't agree that men age better. I don't. Well, I they, think that society wrinkles. accepts them looking yeah. that way, and yeah, society yeah. doesn't accept women looking that way. Like, every time I turn on the the news, I get so angry. Like I still get angry about it because there's like some big fat bald man on there <laughs> with like giant bags under his eyes. And I'm like, where is the woman equivalent? Like this is so unfair. And it's like, it used to fire me up in movies when like, you know, yeah. 75 year old man was, you know, married and dating the 18 year old girl. And I was like, why? Like you never see it the other way. It wouldn't, I don't care. Yes, like you I don't do. care. Yes, what? you do. I where? care what? No, yes, you no. do see it the other way. And no, yeah, no, 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 no. You don't see it in movies, not in movies. You know but what I mean? I, but Heidi, when I was 29 years old, uh-huh. I got married. Uh, yeah. And I married a guy who was 39. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out. Yeah. Three beautiful girls, but it didn't work out. We divorced. Mm-hmm. 20 years later, when I was 49, I got married again. And again, I married a guy who was 39. Ah, 20 years apart. And the second 39 year old worked out much better, but I'm always asked about it. Oh, I love that. Marrying a guy 10 years younger. And it could be bad because I could be saying, Oh my God, am I still looking okay? Cause he's 10 years younger. 
And I have a great looking husband, but I feel like we're like right here. I feel like we're on a par. And statistically, women live 10 years longer than men. So we're going to go six feet under at the same time as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Isn't there also, Joan, you might know this from like all the research you did in your book. Isn't there also something about women's libidos and men's libidos, like women's libidos peak much later in life? Did you hear about that? Talking about that, my my husband always says that men die before their wives. Why do why do men die, die before their wives do? Because they want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think of humor. I think it's great to marry people at different ages. I think it's amazing. What I'm saying is, is on television. Yeah, it's yeah. not portrayed that way, and that's what angered me. Yeah, because yeah. I thought it was so unrealistic that it was. It was only. It was so. I feel it's still so one sided. The way things I are got, portrayed in media. I kind of got taken to task a little bit. Jamie will remember this. Um, and with the idea that I was getting married to somebody so much younger. And basically what I said was, you know, for decades, decades. Oh, wait a second. I have to show him. Give him to uh-huh. Here's our new kitty cat. Oh, oh Milo. Oh, Milo. Oh, so cute. Yeah. You know, I definitely got being an animal lover from my mom. Yeah. So he was sleeping in here and somebody just slipped in and got him. So, but when I, and I remember that time very well when everyone was saying, oh my God, she's 50 years old and he's 40 years old. And I said, you know what? For decades, decades, eons, men have been divorcing and marrying women mm-hmm. 20, 30 years younger than, than them. And they do it so often that it's not even a thought process in our heads when it happens. No, it's like a go you. Yeah. Yeah, you don't blink an eye. Mm-hmm. And yet, all of a sudden, now that we can remain, you know, vital and energetic and, you know, engaged in life and relevant, why can't we do the same thing? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I mean, I, I chose to, you know, it really wasn't. He walked in mm-hmm. to a deli and I looked up at him and I, I actually said, why can't I marry a nice guy like that? And, and Sarah, Jamie's little sister, she was probably nine years old at the time. And she said, how do you know he's nice? I said, I don't know. It's just like, look at the smile on his face. It's, it's not cocky, but it's confident. It could light up the Empire State Building. Looks like a nice guy. She said, well, then go over and say hi. Are you kidding? Is that really how it happened? Mm -hmm. No, that's what she said. And I said, because girls don't do that. She says, well, that's dumb. Then how are you going to meet him? I said, well, I'm probably not going to meet him. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> Out of the nine-year-old mouth. And Children are wise. He also kept looking at me. So mm-hmm. I kept catching him looking at me, and he would catch me looking at him. And then we, he saw some people that he knew, and he went over to their table, and he was kind of like standing over their table. And one of them said, you know who that is that you keep looking at over there? He said, I know. It's Joan London. And he said, and I'm going to go and I'm going to ask her out. And they're like, no way. And he said, yep, I'd rather put my head on the pillow at night and know that I got a no Aww. than not knowing whether she would have said yes. And he came <sighs> over to my table and I was there with Sarah, who was nine, and uh, my co-author, Laura Morton. We were working on one of the books. And he, he just had a, a, randomly, he had been invited to a party at my house out in the Hamptons where Jamie was in a big horse show by someone that I barely knew. 
and that he was being set up with. So we both barely knew the person, but it was that little thing to let him have that the chance to, to talk about. about. And then he started talking and he said, well, listen, since I didn't have a chance to come and have dinner with you that night, because I own summer camps and I'm there all summer, he said, maybe I could have a chance to take you out to dinner another night. Oh. At which point my friend, Laura Morton, was so sure that I was going to blow this because I was, you know, you feel like you're 16 again when you get divorced and you're 45 and you're just as dumb and nervous. And so she took a pen out of her purse and took a piece of a napkin and wrote down my phone number <laughs> and handed it to him. the best. And he called on Monday morning right after the show. Oh, I love that story. So I didn't know shit. that. Oh my gosh, mom, that was the perfect way to wrap this up because that just put all of our hearts like in a, a little yes. flutter. I oh. love that story more every time I hear it. So thank you for sharing it. And I want you to come back and tell more message. stories. Yeah. It's a great right. message yeah. that there is always another chance at love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely, absolutely true. Just when you think there isn't, then that's when you stop trying so hard that you're yeah. like wearing it like a coat. That's when it happens. Oh, thank you, mom. I love you. So we we have two quick things that we finish every episode with. First up, our lightning round. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Number one, drum roll, please. Morning or evening workout? Morning. Number two, what is your favorite kind of workout? Tabata. I love it. And number three, I know the answer to this, coffee, tea, or matcha? Coffee. I thought so. She doesn't even know what matcha is. She's like, ah, matcha's not my thing. I didn't drink coffee the whole time I was at GMA because I figured it would be bad for me. And then I met Jeff and he oh. makes coffee every morning and it smells good. Oh. So I took it back up. I love I it. I love it. Right, okay. Our very last section is called Megan Karma Call. Karma Call. I think we did a pretty good job without Megan. She does it so great. She just says it really well. So karma, I'm a yogi, and karma is the Sanskrit word for action. Okay. So we ask each of our incredible, inspiring guests, you, um, what is one small, actionable item that our listeners could do on a daily basis for like a week or two that would yield giant results? So tiny, tiny action, big change. Could be drinking water every morning, something simple or big. Make don't just let the day happen to you. Make a plan and schedule. Schedule your workout. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be getting down on the floor in the living room and doing something. It can be taking a walk, however much. And schedule your workout and schedule your hydration. Because otherwise, you, at 6 o'clock at night, you think, did I ever drink any water today? I'm dying Jamie, because Jamie you is are your daughter. daughter. <laughs> that is Jamie to a T. She chugs that water and she yeah. always tells everyone to make time to move those smart feet. Schedule. 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 Aww, and to wake up in the morning, to wake up in the morning and tell yourself it's going to be an awesome day. Yeah. Get out of bed. Yes. It's going to be an awesome day. Thank you. Amen, Mama. Well, thank you for joining us. And thank you, everybody at home, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on iTunes. We are on Spotify. We are on iHeart. Everywhere you can listen to podcasts. So go there. Give us a rating, a review. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.